I invite you to turn with me to the Hollaberg Catechism, Lord's Day 23. In the pulpit edition, it's on page 51, bottom of page 51 in the back of our Psalters. The uh, Catechism has just unfolded uh, the articles of the Apostles' Creed, and uh, then at question 59, uh, the question is asked, But what doth it profit, what does it profit you now that you believe all this? What benefit is there? It's one thing to recite uh, the Apostles' Creed as a testimony of faith, but now what's, as it were, the result? And the answer goes this way, that I am righteous in Christ before God and an heir of eternal life. Well, then with question 60, we ask, how are you righteous before God? And in answer... Only by a true faith in Jesus Christ. So that though my conscience accuse me. That I have grossly transgressed all the commandments of God. And kept none of them. And am still inclined to all evil. Notwithstanding God. Without any merit of mine. But only of mere grace. Grants and imputes to me. The perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. Even so, as if I never had nor committed any sin. Yea, as if I had fully accomplished all the obedience which Christ has accomplished for me. Inasmuch as I embrace such benefit with a believing Hearts. And then turning the page to question 61. Why do you say that you are righteous by faith only? And in answer, uh, the Reformed believer understands not that I am acceptable to God on the account of the worthiness of my faith, but because only the satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God. And that I cannot receive and apply the same to myself any other way than by faith only. May the Lord so continue to add the blessing to the proclamation of the word that we may be so strengthened in faith and in faithfulness before our God. Congregation loved by God, we have all experienced situations in our lives when listening to someone explain something, when you are paying close attention to a particular situation and the one speaking to you is laying forth uh, how things have come to be, that there comes a moment in the conversation, you may have asked questions back and forth, where you 
wondered as to where the conversation was going to end up. Perhaps it was someone explaining a particular medical procedure or diagnosis or listening to someone deciphering some uh, technical information. And as they speak, as they seek to help you understand, you, you may wonder what will be the conclusion or what the, the final point may be. It can also happen in reading a, a novel out of interest. You, you wonder how the story is going to end. Sometimes you, you peek ahead a little bit and you, as it were, oh, I, I see where this is going. Now we all like to get to the, the point. We like to get to what some call the aha moment. And in a certain sense, Lord's Day 23 brings us to the point, to the aha moment. As you have gone through the catechism, not only in, by means of the pulpit ministry, but also by means of your own personal piety, or in terms of the instruction that you may take part of in a, in a study, you would have for several months been refreshing your hearts and minds considering the essentials, the, the basic points, the main points of the Christian faith as outlined by the Apostles' Creed. And we need to be clear, each point along the way is, is crucial for our understanding of faith and faithfulness. But now, uh, as it were, Lord's Day 23 gathers all of this together. We, we might say uh, Lord's Day 23 is, is the heartbeat of the catechism and brings us to the point, to the aha and as you consider the faith delivered once for all, you will have noticed with Lord's Day 7, question and answer 20, the necessity of faith. The necessity of faith. Without saving faith in Jesus Christ, we are eternally lost. We recognize that to be all of grace. And then we heard again also this afternoon of the essence of faith with question and answer 21. Sure, uh, the essence of faith being a sure knowledge and a firm confidence. A true faith is knowing the scriptures are true in all its parts. Not just a little here and a little there, but from cover to cover. And then also recognizing uh, that the believer may have a firm confidence in the promises of God, the assurance of faith. Oh, what a gift. Uh, true faith is knowing the scriptures are true and the believer then saying that the promises of scripture in Christ are true for me too. And then uh, as we go further with uh, the instruction of the catechism, what saving faith is all about, the content, the content of faith, the Apostles' Creed, as article upon article uh, is laid before us. And never may we take for granted the necessity of faith, the essence of faith, nor the content of faith. And to declare that to be all of God's grace. Now this afternoon the question of what, how, and why come before us. 
And those questions are all related to what faith in Christ ensures. The assurance of the fruit of true faith. Piercing questions with penetrating answers. What good does it do to believe all this? How are you right with God? Why do you say by faith alone you are right with God? On the basis of Christ's accomplishments, what is the result of true faith? Now all of this, of course, presupposes that you do believe what the Lord in his word calls us to believe. We want to be able to answer the Apostle Paul's question when he asked, when he asked the church of Galatia whether or not they received the Spirit by the hearing of faith. When we read through Galatians chapter 3, we could certainly sense how concerned the Apostle Paul was for the church. The preaching and the teaching ministry of the church is not simply a matter of information. Very directly, we are appointed to the fact that a living faith, a true living faith, must mean something to us. It must mean something very precious to us. If it means nothing to us, then we really don't have it, do we? If living the faith from day to day in our personal lives is not a priority, if confessing the faith given for us to believe, if that means little, then that's a pretty good sign that you do not have faith to begin with. God's gracious gift of faith in his promises, in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, is, and in the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, is meant to, to give joy and peace. Faith in Christ must always be a motivating force that enables us to press on even in the darkest days of life. In short, there are no benefits for what you do not have. But the believer, the believer, praise be to God, has, has benefits that serve as a, a bedrock for life. Some of you, with respect to your employment, have been blessed with a benefit package. And these benefits are temporal means with respect to our earthly journey. There may be something that speaks to your dental needs or what some call retirement benefits and so forth. Now this afternoon we've come to a, a much more crucial matter. The eternal benefits of those who live in true faith, looking to Jesus for all that we need. The Galatian church, they had come to a bad spot in their faith journey. They had come to a position where they believed that salvation was a matter of Christ plus good works. And as we heard the old Holy Spirit through the pen of the Apostle Paul, we heard him address the foolishness, the foolishness of such belief. They, long ago, as they were a fledging young congregation, they had to learn again, even as we must be reminded over and over again, that it is Jesus 
plus nothing that brings salvation. Question 59 asks the so what question. What good does it do to believe all that the Apostles' Creed teaches? What's the end result, the consequences, the aftermath, the outcome? Indeed, a a crucial question, an essential question, requiring a, a very perfect answer. Without a perfect answer, we remain lost, we remain in the dark. And what we confess in all the previous Lord's days uh, would be a matter of blowing in the wind. Answers blowing in the wind are no answers. They simply fly away. (coughs) And so this afternoon we have an all or nothing question. We recognize that true believers have the all. Pretend believers have the nothing. And now we must show what our faith means to us. It may not stay with simply talking. The answer to the all or nothing question is this. In Christ, I am right with God and heir to life everlasting It is an answer that every true believer must possess. And as a gospel minister, it's my duty to ask you, now do you hold tightly to this answer? Do you believe you are righteous in Christ before God? Do you believe that you are an heir, you have an inheritance of eternal life? The world is filled with pretend believers. Now, we're not talking about struggles in the faith. There is no such thing as perfect faith. We all have our struggles. We face the taunts of those who mock our faith. And all of us wrestle to some degree with fighting, as we must, fighting against doubt. And every Christian knows that there is a fight with our own sinful flesh. And every Christian must deal with the fight against worldliness. Dealing with hard faith questions and struggling with various issues in life is a lot different than being a pretend believer. We do not have a single promise from God that all, all will be sunshine. On the contrary, the Lord promises believers hardships. But we are being called once again to take stock of who we are, what we are, to be at heart. Just as the Apostle Paul called the church at Galatia to hold to the heart of the matter, the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. This is what makes us rich. To know already that we have been declared not guilty. There are those who, who believe that they are weighed on a scale. Those who hold to uh, the false teaching of Islam believe every day they are weighed on the scale. And uh, they hope on the last day that the scales will tip in their favor. I've had more than several discussions with the gas station attendant in in Delaware. And 
he lives in the conviction, oh, I hope so. I hope that that scale will, will tip in the right direction. I tell him, well, it's not going to tip in the right direction. The scale always tips against us because we are sinners. And only Christ can make that scale tip in the right direction. In fact, every religion other than Christianity puts its stock in what man might do. Again, we need to remember that the Bible teaches us that scales tip in no one's favor by means of self-willed religion. Keeping the law as a means to achieve salvation, as the church in Galatia attempted, cannot tip the scales in our favor. In fact, the law declares us guilty. The law is a teacher of sin. The law drives us to Christ. By nature, we are ripe for hell. Uh, By our sins, we have earned eternal death. Left to our own devices, we could expect nothing else. The wages of sin, the Bible tells us, are death. In our old nature, we deserve the place of outer darkness, where the worm does not die, nor is the fire quenched. And left to depend on our own virtues, we stand on death row with the execution day staring us in the face. Truth be told, your conscience... My conscience accuses you, accuses me. Uh, There is a voice that whispers in our hearts, you are a sinner. You belong in the pit. You have no rights with God. You are going nowhere but down, down, down. Hang your heads in shame. You have transgressed all God's commandments. I have transgressed all of God's commandments. Not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. Even more than our consciences is the voice of God when he says to us, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things, all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But praise be to God, his voice does not stop there. God's voice continues to speak. God's voice declares, I have loved the world so much that I sent mine only begotten Son, whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God's voice declares, as we heard in Galatians 3, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having becoming a curse for us, that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. God has orchestrated and delivered a rescue plan, our slate can be cleared and that cleansing comes through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we receive 
praise be to God, that cleansing in Christ by means of true faith. A faith that is faithful to the truth of God's word. Faith that instrument by which we receive Christ, all of grace, undeserved favor, God's riches at Christ's expense. While we ought to expect and do deserve the strongest of punishment, our defense counsel, as it were, stands up on our behalf and declares before the judge, I have borne all the punishment in the place of the accused. I have fulfilled perfect righteousness. I have perfectly obeyed all the commands in the place of the accused. And I place my holiness over against the defendant's sin. And the prosecuting attorney no longer presses his case. How amazing. How amazing uh, that this blessing may be ours through believing faith. What amazing grace through Christ we, we are, are, are recognized and declared as righteous. That's the believer's testimony. The opposite, of course, is to be uh, damned or judged. It's one or the other. We live in a world that wants to deny the reality of an afterlife. But just... By means of denying the afterlife doesn't mean that it exists. The Bible's clear that there is an afterlife. And without faith in the finished work and person of Jesus Christ, Hal smirks at us and says, I'm going to get you yet. And that's why the message of the scriptures press upon us page after page. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Those who do not believe, those who do not trust Christ, have no hope. For the believer, remember this well, for the believer, Christ is an endless hope. For the unbeliever, life becomes a hopeless end. Say it again. For the believer, Christ is an endless hope. For the unbeliever, life then becomes a hopeless end. And as we reflect in faith, and as we must, we should not come to a point where we just simply skip over these things, these beautiful truths. There has to be within our hearts, isn't it so, beloved, a sense of astonishment, a sense of deep wonder, In our hearts even now should be rumbling the thought, what wonder to be called righteous before God. How profound to be acquitted at the judgment. How significant it is to be set free to live in the joy of our salvation and grace Alone, by Christ alone, through faith alone, we are no longer held captive. Christ has set us free from the consequences of our sins. God sees us for who we are, our sinful thoughts, our sinful words, our sinful actions. And for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, he declares his people righteous. God knows us inside out. Isn't that true?
God knows how far short we fall from the glory of God. We can't hide anything from God. And yet, and yet we may receive an open door to eternal fellowship with the triune God. Again, all of grace. In theological language, we we call it imputation. The Catechism speaks of a righteousness imputed to us. The imputed righteousness of Christ. More simply spoken, we confess that God assigns, God credits to his people what Christ has done as if, as if we had done it ourselves. Justification by faith. Just as if I never sinned. Those are beautiful words, those two little words. As if, as if. Now the church at Galatia had yet to understand this foundational principle. They kept hankering back to the old ways. And we're not immune from the same temptation. By nature, we think that we can earn something that's in our nature. And so Paul asks this rhetorical question, that is to say, a question that is to have an obvious answer. He asked, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Or by the hearing of faith. Again it is either or. And the gospel is one. Received by the work of the spirit. To receive faith. And that is why when the word of God is preached. We must pay close attention. Close attention. That we might indeed see. uh, Receive God's benefits in Christ by faith. Oh the congregation at Galatia long ago. They struggled. They struggled so hard. To accept that, that only. Only Jesus Christ could set them free. They kept, as it were, wavering back and forth on a little teeter-totter. In chapter 1, Paul had expressed his astonishment that the church so quickly had flip-flopped. They were a flip-flop congregation. And in the strongest terms, he admonishes, he reprimands, he rebukes them for turning to a different gospel. Which in effect is no gospel at all. He tells them even if an angel from heaven should preach a different gospel. Than the gospel of grace through faith in Christ. Let him be eternally condemned. Why? Those are strong words are they not? And in chapter 2 at verse 16 the apostle writes. We know that a man is not justified by observing the law. But by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law no one will be justified. Three times in this verse Paul tells the church that no one is justified by observing the law and three times the word underscores the required calling of faith. In Christ, the essence of the gospel message, a person declared righteous by means of faith, all of Christ, all of grace. Then in chapter 3, the chapter that we heard earlier, it is as if Paul is pressing 
the pedal to the metal. After all, the teaching of justification by faith alone is a matter of life or death. Paul is upset that, that someone has pulled the wool over the eyes of the church. And no one is able to begin to complete in fullness the call of God's law. And what we need to see here in London this afternoon, removed some 2,000 years from Galatia and the young church emerging, that the same teaching that the Apostle Paul directed toward the church then is the teaching that we need to hear now. Justification by faith alone is the heart of the matter. This brings us to the point of life. Christ, the second Adam, fulfills what the first Adam did not. Just as the first Adam dragged us down, so the second Adam lifts us up. Justification is God's free act of pardoning sinners and accepting them as righteous for Christ's sake. God's justifying decision is in effect the judgment of the last day regarding where we will spend eternity. It is the judgment day brought forward to the present and pronounced in the here and now. And it is to declare once again that God will never go back on his word. If we truly stand in Christ by faith, we stand eternally secure. This is not always easy to understand. When you were younger and the evening hour came, did you ever wake, go to bed wondering if your mom or dad wouldn't be there the next morning? Why, it wasn't even a thought, was it? Did you ever worry that the night would be forever and that you wouldn't wake up? No. Young children don't have those thoughts in their minds. And it is the same way when we trust in Christ, when we say, I believe Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, then we may be sure that the love of the Savior will always be upon the one who loves the Savior, the one who trusts, who trusts. We need to be a church that understands well the main points of the Christian faith. We want to be a literate church, a church that knows and understands and confesses the truth. There are uh, so many churches also in London that are basically illiterate. And they've taken to themselves a message of social justice. And indeed, there is, a, there is a place for social justice. But that's not the gospel. That's not saving faith. Social justice must always uh, be expressed in answer to the gospel and answered as the gospel explains social justice. But there are many who, what we profess this afternoon, have no idea. We need to know what we believe, why we believe, what we believe. And it must be pressed deep into our soul for what we are speaking and and listening together uh, this afternoon is at the heart of our salvation. 
Now, in saying this, uh, what we have said thus far, we must also be very careful that we don't start thinking that it is our faith of itself that saves us. We are not justified because of, because of faith, but by faith. Do you hear the difference? Do you understand the difference? Let me say it again. We are not justified because of faith, but by faith. If we believe because of faith, it would mean that my faith itself would be the source of my salvation. My faith then would become some kind of saving work. Because I believe God, I, uh, God will uh, grant an exchange and an acquittal and eternal life. But we need to remember very clearly, faith is not an achievement on our part. Faith is not a graduation exercise. Faith does not bring merit. Christ brings merit. Faith is a gracious gift of God that we cannot earn in of ourselves. If we have faith in our faith, we are no longer looking to Jesus, but rather looking to ourselves. Faith is but an instrument. Faith is the channel along which the gifts of God flow to us. The Lord lifts our hands and opens our hands so that he will <coughs> fill them with his treasures. And only God's electing grace opens our hands and hearts to receive what he gives. And in that same grace, we see that apart from Christ, we are but empty-handed beggars. And when we understand that, then we understand the point. There is then for us the aha moment. It is spiritual pride to think that because of the worthiness of our own faith, we have something to offer to God. May the Lord God so uphold us in the proper understanding of the glorious benefits of faith. May the Lord so uphold us in the faith delivered once for all. To enjoy, to give praise to God. Your riches, my riches are so rich. And let us not take them for granted and may we with conviction seek to uphold the precious truths of the gospel. Indeed, praise God from whom all blessings flow.